Would you pray with me? Our Jesus, what a great gift it is to be able to say that we are yours, that you are our God. So I pray with whatever we bring weighing down our shoulders and our hearts this morning, that you would raise us up today, that you would lift us up. We already have been in worship, but as we come to your word, allow your word to minister to the places that you know we need it most in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And then he went to Nazareth, the place of his birth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And Jesus stood up to read. And the scroll was handed to him of the prophet Isaiah. And as he read this, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened upon him. And he said to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I wonder, I wonder how many of the disciples were seated there that day, or what was recounted to them as they were told that Jesus had said these words. Can you imagine? I came to heal, to set free, to proclaim good news. You see, Jesus himself came with this mission, with this heart to fulfill what God had called him to. But then you have to remember, he called disciples to join him in what he was doing. So he came out and he said, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And the memory of these people who had heard, he proclaimed his mission. I've come to heal, to set free, to proclaim good news. And they were joining him in what he was called to do in the world. What an amazing place to be. Talk about thriving. They were with Jesus, joining him in what he was doing in the world. That's an amazing place to be. These disciples were getting to experience this. He said, come, be with me and join me in what I'm doing in the world. We're in a series about thriving, and the last two weeks we've touched on two important truths. Thriving starts in the presence of God. Pastor Gatra shared with us that thriving begins with rest, a posture of trust that says everything that I have is yours. And all that will happen this year, every single thing in your life and in our collective life that is of worth or significance comes from the very presence of God. It is a gift. So thriving begins with deep rest because God fashioned humanity and the very first day that we were alive was Sabbath. 
God did say, be fruitful, multiply, tend the earth, bring forth these good fruits. You are called to good work. But he started us off with rest so we would know the source of everything. Then last week, we learned that thriving, the very foundation of thriving is the love of God, the lavish love of God. Dr. Deal shared with us this love meets us right where we are time and again. What throws us off is is we mess up and we have the opportunity to go into despair or to run back to the Father. And what we find, like he shared with us, is that the Father's watching and running towards us the moment we return. That is the foundation of thriving. Today, I invite you to take a journey into the heart of the mission. That thriving begins when we're a part of something bigger than any one of us. This is what captured the hearts of the disciples. I believe when they heard the words of Jesus, when he stood up and he said, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today is the year of the Lord's favor that their hearts were captured and they wanted to be a part of something that they recognized was far bigger than themselves. Disciples then and now are called to be a part of this grand mission, the rescue mission of God, to love and to save God's children, to save us from meaninglessness, fear, loneliness, brokenness, and death. These and so many other things are the fallout of sin. You see, we are of infinite worth to God. So Jesus comes and lives among us, and he invites us to join him in this work when he gave everything for us. So these disciples are joining him in what he's doing. Come and follow me. I would say to you today that the very best place this year that you could spend 2023 is next to Jesus doing what he's doing. It's the very best place for us to be is right beside him. There is fulfillment in family, in love, in money, in success, all the rest These are gifts from God. They bring us fulfillment because God designed us to have this kind of connection. But we can have all these gifts and still find that we have a want, a longing, a need. Because if we're not spending ourselves for the sake of something bigger, we still miss something. If you aren't pouring out your unique gift for the sake of the kingdom work God is doing, then you find your longing for more. God is at work. And the disciples of God join in what God is doing in the world. Our church anniversary is the day we get to remember what we're called to as a church. Not only to have candles on cupcakes and balloons, and can you believe it? This team that's doing a meal today for us without a kitchen yet? These people are amazing. Did you see all that beautiful crew that was setting up and decorating yesterday? If you saw our our social media, this is such an amazing gift. That heart of generous service has been a part of what Azure Hills is all about from the very beginning. In 1964, evangelist Don Gray walked into the Azure Hills Country Club and said, can I rent your facility for an evangelistic meeting? They were going to do an evangelistic meeting here in Grand Terrace. And the person there behind the desk jokingly said, we might not be able to rent it to you, but you could buy it. 
They exchanged business cards because it turns out this beloved country club had fallen on hard times financially. And what God did in starting that conversation led to much prayer and talk between administrators of the conference and lay members that felt led to plant a church in Grand Terrace in a country club. And as I was told on my first tour seven years ago, we were the only church in North America to hold a liquor license because that came with the sale of the property. So this church, as they planned and they prayed and they sought the Lord's will, they said, we will step out in faith and start a church right here. On January 1st, 1965, Pastor Lloyd Wyman and 268 charter members started the Azure Hills Church. And they had so much work to do converting a country club into a church, and they dealt with so many different things in that process. The, the kids who had their Sabbath school at the bar the dance hall where the worship was and the sanctuary, this didn't exist, this was built. Each of these steps that they showed flexibility and resilience and love and generosity, seeking to be a light up on a hill. A city up on a hill cannot be hidden, Jesus says, so let your light so shine that all people may be drawn to your Father in heaven. That was the mission that Azure Hills Church was called to. And that mission was evidenced in keeping the pool open late Saturday nights where all of the neighborhood kids could come and having summer camps where all the kids, even ones that are now big kids in their 50s at the community, when we have community gatherings out here that they come up and say, I still have my little vegetarian cookbook from my summer camp. And I remember fondly eating those things what do you call those things? They're kind of like hot dogs, but Big Franks? Oh, yeah, I remember those. We ate so many of those from the snack bar behind your church. Because Azure Hills, a city up on a hill, shining light and sharing love. There's been a great legacy of love in this body of Christ for all of these years. 58 of them, to be exact. 58 years, the love of Christ has been poured out from this place. And that is now evidenced, and that legacy is carried on in your life in really beautiful ways. And some of you came during Pastor Maury Venden's time when God used him to bring a special message of grace to the Adventist church through here. But there were other people that supported his ministry and people that said, Pastor Venden, can I type your manuscripts and can we get this message further out? And people that volunteered to share so that they could be a part of it. And then beloved Pastor John Brunt who served this church until his retirement. And then after a year-long search committee process, this church that invited me to serve as senior pastor in 2016. And for these seven years, you've blessed my heart and my family as we together have sought to thrive by living out this mission of God. We remember what we are called to as a multicultural, multi-generational body of Christ seeking to reflect and share this love of Jesus Christ. Over 50 countries represented 
all different backgrounds, all different stories, but seeking to show this love that has no limits. You see, Jesus, the same Jesus that stood up and said, this is the year of the Lord's favor, and I'm called to heal, and I'm called to bring good news, and I'm called to set people free. That same Jesus has captured our hearts, and we are following him and joining him in his work. This is what Azure Hills Church is all about. Our mission is to live by God's grace, to grow in love and to be a voice of hope. We recognize with to live by God's grace that everything that we do is from grace. If you feel impressed to share with someone, it's because of grace. If you share resources and your time and you want to give yourself selfishly, it's all because of grace. We want to grow in how we love God and love other people. We want to be what the scripture calls a peculiar people characterized by the proclamation of hope that when everyone else says, it's time to give up or throw in the towel. We say the story's not over yet. We are a people of hope. Our vision is to be a community of faith, inspiring all people to courageous hope, generous love, and grace-filled diversity. That's what our world needs, right? We need these evidences in our own lives and in the people around us. We remember our core values easily because all of us want to have faith. Family, we're a family church. Authenticity, involvement, every single hand and heart and talent counts. Transformation and hope. The reason you keep hearing hope come up is because it's in our very name, it's in our very DNA. We are Adventists. We are people of the Advent. That Jesus has come and was incarnate in the world and that Jesus is coming again. Because the Advent tells us that the story isn't over in your children's lives, in your neighbor's life, in our, the life of this humanity, human family, and this earth. The story isn't over. So we hold on tenaciously to that, the truth that the way things are are not the way things will always be. That is what it means to be a people of hope. And we keep living out this mission together. That's why I love this passage that is emblazoned on the stained glass behind me where Jesus says, all authority, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all things I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, go, preach, teach, baptize. I'm right there along beside you until I see you again. Right there with you. You might feel like I said, come, be a part of what I'm doing, and then I'm leaving, but I'm still right there with you along beside you, and you're still doing the work that you were called to along beside me. Until we're back together again, keep doing this work. I will never forget this scene is emblazoned in my mind, scrawny boys on top of a rock in a cave. Two divers emerging from murky water, British divers, one of them shines a light on the boys and calls out, how many of them are you? And a boy responds, 
we are 13. And he says, brilliant. These boys, these very ones that were there, had been in this cave, had been hidden away from everything that they had known for 10 days, trapped in the flooded cave complex in northern Thailand. And after an enormous search effort that had transfixed Thailand and so much of the world, these missing 12 boys and their soccer coach had been found in Tam Luang Cave. In June and July of 2018, this junior soccer team and their assistant coach were rescued from this cave in the northern province of Thailand. 12 members of the team ranging in age from 11 years old to 16 years old, plus their 25-year-old assistant coach, were in the cave and entered into it to play on the 23rd of June. They had just finished a practice and they were all eager to have some fun together now. As the documentary that I saw highlighted, these were rural kids. This was their playground. These caves were super familiar. They were all back there playing in the depths, but this was normal. But the monsoons came early that year. And shortly after entering, heavy rainfall partially flooded the cave system and blocked their way out. Efforts to locate the group were hampered by rising water levels and strong currents, and no contact was made with them for those 10 days. The cave rescue effort expanded into a massive operation with intense worldwide public interest. The international rescue team was called from all different parts of the globe. And on July 2nd, after advancing through narrow passageways and muddy waters and ripping currents, British divers John Volanthan and Nick Rick Stranton found the group alive, elevated on a rock two and a half miles from where they entered the cave. Rescue organizers discussed various options for extracting the group, including whether to teach them basic underwater diving skills, to get them out of where they were, to wait for a new entrance to the cave to be drilled, or to maybe let them stay there for a few months until the monsoon season was over. After days of pumping water out of the cave system, despite all of the rain, the rescue teams hastened to get them out because July 11 was the forecast of the next monsoon, and they wondered if they could get them out before then. Between July 8 and 10, all 12 boys and their coach were rescued from the cave. The rescue involved 10,000 people, more than 100 divers, scores of rescue workers, representatives from 100 government agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, 10 police helicopters, seven ambulances, more than 700 diving cylinders, and pumping more than one billion liters of water from the caves. Can you imagine the massive effort that it took to get them out? As Caleb and I watched this documentary, there was a couple points where we just turned to each other with tears in our eyes, moved by what was happening on the screen. This massive effort undertaken to rescue these boys and these moms that stood outside the cave entrance praying for them. The highly trained seals weren't the ones who were able to enter these caves and to navigate these complex systems. Instead, it was the hobbyists. 
It was those who were able to, to rig up and make their own equipment and had done this for years. They called them from all over, Britain and Australia and parts of the world, so that they could come and be a part of this effort. But it took everyone, 10,000 people, to make it happen. What was so moving to me is that there were times when the guests in the country, those Brits and Aussies that were there, were making pleas with the government, let us go in, let us dive and get them, and they were being refused. And then there were other times that the nationals were pleading with the divers, keep going, don't give up, please keep going. There were mo it was moving that everyone was needed, and they all had their moments of thinking it was impossible. It was not a, without expense. It took a lot of money, of course, but there was also the cost of life. Two of the seals lost their life, one from asphyxiation and one later from a blood disease that he acquired during the rescue. But the widow of the man who died at the rescue site said this, as she spoke on screen, I'm sad, but I'm also proud to be married to a hero who gave his life for these children. As we heard firsthand stories and the absolute miracle of getting the children and their coach out alive, it was clear that the mission mattered to each one of them, who had given themselves so much of themselves, sometimes even their own life of their loved one. The mission was all-consuming and all-important. Later that night, I woke up and felt impressed to pray for you and for this church. I was praying for us and for what we're called to. And then my eyes flooded again with tears as God spoke to me, whispering to my spirit, that what you saw on screen is what the church is. This group of people organized for a mission that matters. This people joining me in a great rescue, helping my children get to safety because each life is so precious. Everyone has their part. Everyone is loved by me. Azure Hills, like any church, is what it is because of the people. You. You are what make this church an amazing place to live and serve and be a part of. The Holy Spirit living in you, working in ways that make the invisible love of God visible to us by how you show up in the world. You join in the mission and the work of God in beautiful ways. You are those who make sure to check in on people who are going through hard times. You are the ones who bring takeout at just the right time. You are the ones who support neighbors and friends. You are the ones who give generously to what God is doing. You prepare food and blankets and clothing and supplies for those in need. You cross the street and you cross the border to help and to remind people that God has not forgotten them. You sing, you comfort, you pray, study, teach, coach, chaperone, make food, talk, count, craft, decorate, design, repair, hug, hold, plan, evaluate, review, execute, chair committees, and make decisions all as an act of love for a vision bigger than you and I, a rescue mission that we're called to be a part of, being alongside Jesus and joining him in his work.
Do we do it perfectly? No way. Do important people and situations get missed? Yes. Do we hurt each other? You bet. Do we want to do better? Always. But God's love is incarnate here. I see it in you. God's love is incarnate. When you get back from work and you're tired, but you still show up for praise team practice. When you get done and it's been a stressful week, but you still show up to teach adventures. When you are through and feeling tired and sad yourself, but you call to encourage and pray with someone else. God's love is incarnate in you. We thrive as we are a part of the mission of God. Beginning with rest, the foundation is the lavish love of God, and then coming alongside Jesus in spending ourselves for what matters most. The mission has a face and has a name. The mission is each child of God. I'm so glad we get to be a part of this mission together.